Anyone go for a walk today? Hands up. Good. Anyone get wet? We got soaked. But it was good to walk. Do you remember in lockdown when walking became fashionable again? Do you remember when we used to meet each other? Should we go for a walk? Two families together at some point. I remember Easter morning, it was the Salkels and the Lancasters together. As two families were only able to meet and we walked. Do you know the Bible picks up the image of walking? Walking in the Bible encapsulates the whole of somebody's behaviour. It's deliberate. It's intentional. It involves the whole of the person. So for good, Proverbs 2 verse 20 says this, Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. But also for bad, listen to Proverbs 4 verse 14, Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Walking in the Bible encapsulates the whole of somebody's behaviour. It's deliberate, it's intentional, it involves the whole of the person. Genesis chapter 5 was our first introduction of walking. Enoch, verse 24 of chapter 5. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. We get the idea that Enoch, one of the first men recorded in God's word, walked with God. Remember what walking is. It encapsulates the whole of someone's behaviour. It's deliberate. It's intentional. It involves the whole of a person. There's Enoch and he walked faithfully with God. It's been good to watch Enoch do that. To get a model, to get an understanding of what walking in love looks like for us. We were in 1 John, walking in the light, and we got an idea of what that looked like as John helped his readers understand walking in truth is the good news of Jesus, walking in that amidst pushback from others in the church. There's something about walking together. I don't know for you, some of our best family times have been walking together. We get an hour where kind of the whole of life it can be seen and can be lived out in this one hour. The conversation that come and go, the, the actions as one person walks a little bit in front and one behind. And kind of the whole of our family life can be seen and viewed in this one hour as we walk together. You'll never walk alone. If you're a Liverpool fan, you'll know that song. But do you know the words are, are quite special? I just thought we'd start our series by watching and listening uh, to the words of You'll Never Walk Alone. Simon's got a big grin on his face as a <laughs> Liverpool supporter. So we're going to go for the first two minutes of the original Jerry and the Pacemakers as he wrote this song. And it's been now adapted uh, into a great football, an iconic football tune. You'll never walk alone. Should we watch it together? First two minutes. Let's have a look. When you walk. You'll never walk along alone. Why is that such an iconic tune? You watch the video and you get the idea. It's, it's full of hope. 
It's of a deliberate moving forward in the midst of despair, in the midst of adversity. You get the idea that it's full of unity, there's full of community, it's people walking together. And look, in John's short letters, he's giving the instruction to the Christian believer of how to move forward. The Christian believer can't move forward alone. You'll never walk alone is the message. The Christian believer needs to walk together to keep going, to be consistent, to carry on, to make it to the end. We know that in his first letter, John has urged his readers. Simon's alluded to it, but 1 John 1 verse 7 is important. Here it is. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We walk together. We have fellowship with one another. That's the urge of 1 John. And so now he picks up a couple more themes in his two other letters. We're going to split these down or split the first six verses into two points. Verses 1 to 3, we're going to have a look at walk in love equals walking uh, in the truth. And then we'll pick up verses 4 to 6. See there in verse 1, here's John, the elder. And we know that John is the disciple of Jesus. He's the apostle. He calls himself the elder in here. He's one that has walked with Jesus and one in which the church that he writes to is familiar uh, to himself. You'll see that to John here is written to the lady. Did you notice that? To the lady chosen by God and to her children. Now the majority of commentators say that this isn't a lady. More it's the church. Written to the church but but more than the church general to a local church. John's language, most commentators say, are not appropriate to a a real person. Uh, There's no name in there. You look at three John and there are names that John writes specifically to. So it's the thought that John, as he talks about the lady chosen by God and to her children, is to the church and to the believers within the church. And then verse 13 of 2 John, we see the children of your sister. That's a a neighbouring church. So here's the thought in John. He writes to the church. The personification of cities, countries, cities was often in the the feminine sense. And so so therefore we, we, we get, we understand it's most probable that John is speaking to the church and the Christians within the church. Look what he says. I love you, this church. I I love you in the truth. And straight away, John is, he he, he throws in there the complete contrast to the heretics within the church. It was the truth that bound John in love for this church. The truth about Christ. And it's a contrast to the self-centred love that the heretics had. We'll look at that um, in uh, in the next week when we come back to it. We see that his love is also shared for all. Do you you see? Not only I, but also all who know the truth. There's a collection of love. Why does John love the church so much? Look at verse 2. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be in us forever. 
John loves the church so much because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. There's a special unity that is shared. John's saying that love is not a matter of feeling. It's not a matter of compatibility. It's not a case that because we feel this way, we'll love this way. It's based on truth, something we hold to together. I wonder if you've thought about that at Town Church. I think most of us get on. I think it's pretty easy for most of us to get on. I think we're quite compatible. And you see, if John was speaking to us, he says, yeah, yeah, but do you know your love for each other? It's not because... You, you, you may be quite similar, you live in a, a similar place and you, you, you do similar things and you, know, you like coffee and you, you, you go for a drink and some of you like sport together. That's not your basis of love. Your basis is love is what you believe in, what is true, what you hold to. It's because of the truth that we share John is saying it's objective truth. It's objective truth, but but it lives in us. You see that in verse 2? Because of the truth which lives in us. So it's objective truth that now lives in us. Christian love is always founded on Christian truth. It's that objective truth that, that we can't touch in the sense we can't say it's not true or it is true. It's objective truth that then lives within us as Christ lives in me, as Christ lives in you. In verse 3, he kind of wraps up at the beginning of his letter with his greeting, his salutation, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Dear church, because we have grace, mercy and peace from Jesus, then he will be with us in truth and love. It's the guarantee and it's the assurance. Here is how a Christian fellowship is marked. It's marked by truth and love because of what we've received. Grace, mercy and peace. Now the body of believers is marked by truth and love. If we're a fellowship who is marked by grace, mercy and peace, we will be walking in a balance of truth and love. I wonder for many of you who have been around for the nearly five years that Town Church has been existing for. I wonder how many of you will look at the church and think, here we are beautifully balanced, truth and love. You see what the devil will always try and do. It's his role to distract and distort. So will he always try and take us to extremes? He'll distort by extremism. So our love grows soft if not strengthened by truth. And our truth is hard if it is not softened by love. And yet the devil will be trying to drive a wedge and say, hey, you're not truth abiding or you're not loving too much. And, and, and he'll push us down a road just to be loving where we might leave the truth behind or be so set on the truth that we speak in such a way where we're not loving. That's the devil's job. That's his role. Here's John. See what he's doing. Here's how we will be marked out, dear church, by truth and 
love, walking this balance. The Christian faith falls or dies, sorry, falls or lives on Jesus Christ as truth, Christology. God became man to save his people. But if he is only man, he cannot save us, no matter what kind of a good man he was. If Jesus is not God in human flesh, then the Christian faith is all lies, not truth. John is saying that it's so important that it's truth and love. If Jesus is not God in human flesh, then the Christian faith is all lies, not truth. It's rubbish. Discard it. John has got it wrong. We've all got it wrong. And we can all go home and give it loving. Give up loving. John is saying, no, no, no. Love and truth go hand in hand. See what John is saying as well. Christian faith is never built upon feeling. It's never built upon emotion. So many times in life, our walk, our Christian walk is is weary, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard work. And we're tempted to slow down. We're tempted to stop. We're tempted to walk in other directions. Remember the book we read a few years back, Pilgrim's Progress, full of ideas, full of examples of turning to other ways. And we'll follow those other ways if we base our walk on feeling, on emotion. Not doing well today? My walk slows down. I don't fancy coming to the gathering of the believers. I don't fancy praying uh, for those individuals who I'm committed to. John is saying you can't, you can't walk away from truth. And love. They go hand in hand. Walk in love equals walking in the truth. And secondly, walk in love equals walking in obedience. You could say obedience to the truth, but it's walk in obedience. Look at verses 4 to 6 with me in 2 John. I'll read them. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Verses 46, we have the inner life of the church and then verses 7 onwards we have the doctrinal danger that comes from external sources it comes from without it comes to to seek to influence within and we see the contrast throughout the letter of truth and lies and John is urging us to walk in the truth but we get to see the lies next week we get to see the lies of 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 the church and we get to see the lies of the world and we get to see that those two things then are combined in the threat into John. What John says in verse 4 is, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. Great joy to find all, says John. No, 
He says, son. There are some who are walking in truth and following the truth and living by truth. But there's some who are not. And now, dear lady, he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And there's a shift in verse 5. Look, in verse 4, we had the Father commanded it. But in verse 5, we have, I think, the idea, the introduction of Jesus as the new command. I'm not writing you a new command, says John, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. What's the beginning? I think it's when Jesus gave us the new command. That's the beginning. And so, of course, this church have already heard about Jesus. They're based their whole lives upon the truth of Jesus. So he's saying it's not new, this news of Jesus. Of course it's not. That's confirmed, I think, in some of the language of verse 6, where it says his command, referring to the command of Jesus. Do you remember the command of Jesus? John 13, the same author Uh, Of course, the Apostle John, the Disciple John. In John 13, verses 34, he says this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's the command of Jesus. And John is saying it's not new. I've given that to you before. Your whole church has been based upon this command. But I ask that you love one another. He's reminding them of this new command, of of the command of Jesus. It's not new to them, but came to them by Jesus. And error creeps into the church when faith is regarded as just an emotion that we bestow on people or or an intuition, uh, a a whimsical intuition that we just think, ah, Great, good, faith, got it, leap in the dark. See what John is saying? He's saying, no, no, no. This is a command from Jesus. This is truth. And what does faith and truth, what do they combine to do? Well, well, I've got to keep living in obedience, an obedient response to submit my life to Jesus from this self-revelation of the Lord Jesus himself. John is saying, look, do you get what a command is? Do you get what the command is? It's not that love belongs to the sphere of of, of Of just emotion. But it's obedience to truth. It's a command that I give you. What does that mean? A command from Jesus to walk in obedience to his commands. What does that mean? I think very often I'm slow or a little bit nervous to think of what Jesus has done for me. And how then I'm supposed to live as a command. I think I often want to focus on his grace and his goodness. And now living is freedom. But John is here is helping me see that you know, freedom comes through obeying the commands of Jesus. That's how freedom comes. So what does it look like for me and for you? Selflessness with our time. 
As I look around the room, I've got the best spot in the house, of course. I can see your faces. I've got to look in the mirror, though, and ask myself, am I selfless with my time when it comes to following the command of Jesus to love you, to love one another? What about my money? I've just had a call. Those of us who are members of Town Church to think and to pray um, to see if we can support the Ventresses as they head into another chapter of life as John goes to help the translation of the Bible into other languages on digital platforms. How can I love the Ventress family by being obedient to the command of Jesus, which is to love them with my money? By my energy, the way that we serve on rotors when you know it's your time on the crash rotor as we sometimes chuckle about junior church and you know it's hard work. It's graft to put in the hours before you get to Sunday. What does it look like to love one another, to walk in obedience to his commands? Care and compassion for those who really need help. Forgiveness for those who do wrong to us. For those who speak wrongly to us or against us. But I wonder if you're sitting there thinking, hmm, yeah, all good. But aren't they hallmarks of a lot of communities that are gelled together, that are knitted together, that... The idea that we'd help those who are most in need. Aren't they even the core messages of Disney movies? Is this similar to what John's speaking of? Walking in love and being obedient to the command of Jesus? Well, I think we've got to go to the man Jesus himself, of course. Jesus models this new command. Yes, of course, he modelled it in his living, but... He modelled it in his dying. You see, when we were still sinners, writes the Apostle Paul, Christ died for us. He laid down his life for us. Jesus died to bring us back to heaven. He died to bring us back to the Heavenly Father. And so the question here, I think John is asking the church, is follow the commands of Jesus to walk in his love. Would you follow that by seriously pointing each other to the Lord Jesus to keep going? To keep turning back to the model of Jesus in his life, but to keep turning back to the work of Jesus in his death. That's how I'm going to really love you. Those things that we mentioned before are aspects of our love lived out. But this is how we'll really love each other if we're concerned for where We stand before the living Lord Jesus. To urge each other to keep going. To urge each other to keep walking. To urge each other to keep understanding a little bit more of the grace of God. And therefore be affected by it. Look at verse 6 as we come to a close. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. The command to love is clarified simply. 
To love is to walk in obedience to his commands. And his command is that you walk in love. John. Do you get the feeling that he's just trying to kind of twist us in some kind of theological knots? What is he saying? What does he mean? What is love and what is obedience and, uh, and what is truth? How do they all fit together? How do they all work out? John Stott says, Christians love, Christian love is not an involuntary, uncontrollable passion, but unselfish service undertaken by deliberate, deliberate choice. So to walk in love equals to walk in truth, equals to walk in obedience. And I think this diagram might just sum it up nicely for us as we, as we finish. I think it will. Look, we believe in the truth of the Lord Jesus. We believe in Christ. We know that it's the truth that saved us. Our salvation does not depend on obedience to the law. You're saved not because of what you do. You're saved because you trust in the truth, what Jesus has done for you. But you see, Jesus has died to set us free. Free to keep the law, not to break it. And so evidence of salvation is love and obedience. We speak the truth in love and in love we follow him in obedience. You see that, the truth enables us to love. And love enables us to be obedient, says John. We love one another. This is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And obedience enables us to know more of the truth. And then the more truth we learn, the more we love others and God. And the more we love others, it enables us to be obedient to the truth. And the more, and so on and so forth. Not a vicious cycle, but some have classed it as the victorious cycle. This is it. Truth enables us to love. Love means that we're being obedient to him. The more obedient that I'm being enables me to know more of the truth. And the truth then enables me to love you better. You see this victorious cycle. John's not trying to tie us up in theological knots. He's simply saying, this is what church looks like. You know, I confess, I don't know what this looks like all the time. Do you know I need the help of the living Lord Jesus in me to make me sensitive to the needs of others in town church? If you're anything, anything like me, you know there are many times I don't want to come to the Sunday gathering. Many times I don't want to rock up to pizza and prayer. Many, many times I do not want to rock up on a 6.30 on a Friday morning. And say prayers on Zoom. But you know whenever I engage in those things. Whenever I do. I'm always encouraged. And so it is a kind of command that I'm following. 
But I know that the wonder of that command is that uh, I leave encouraged and more aligned to the truth again as someone says something at the back to me. Or or I've heard something in God's word being preached. Or I've sung, sung something of the wonder of God's love for me. And I'll always walk away from town church on a Sunday afternoon thoroughly encouraged again. To go and live for him. To go and walk in love as a command of his. Not that I think I have to or should do or ought to. To win his salvation. But because now I can. Now I can. I want to obey. I want to love. I believe in the truth. But I need the Lord Jesus to continue to help me. Until the day he calls me home. Let's pray together. Father. Please, please, we prayed at the beginning to help us to understand these words. John, full of emotion, full of love for the people that he writes to. We know that love is not just a fleeting feeling, but it's a deep command that we can now follow as a result of knowing what the truth is. And the truth has changed us so Please, Lord, help us to work that out as individuals and as a church, what it means to live for you and to love others, to walk in love. We need your help, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.